Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about leveraging your community to build your brand. And this is a really important topic for several reasons, but most importantly, perhaps, because the more people you get involved in your brand early on, the faster it'll take hold. And then done right, it creates authentic ambassadors that can speak on your behalf, which then adds authenticity to your story and your experience when you're not the only one talking about your brand. Yeah, and we talk all the time about the three brand questions, which are who am I, how am I different, and why would you want me? Because this sets your foundation and sticking to it allows you to really build your community so that they know who you are and how to get your message out there. And before we jump in, we have a fantastic guest with us today that's going to help us with this episode because he leverages many different types of communities effectively, which has led to the success of his brand, Rebel Metal. Mike Brown, CEO and founder of Rebel Metal, please introduce yourself to our guests. Hello, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. My name is Mike, obviously, and I go by Mike. Um, Michael's too formal for me. And I don't <laughs> I don't know about fantastic guests, but we'll see at the end of this podcast. But I, uh, I don't know where we can edit it out. You know, I'm, <laughs> I am definitely looking forward to having some pretty cool conversations with you all. Awesome. And, and should we specify the Rebel Metal is a brewery? Oh, yeah. Brewery. Oh, yes. Yes, we should. I mean, it'll become pretty clear, I think. But yes, very fair point. Yeah. So when you say managing communities effectively, I'm the beer guy. How could you not? Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I kind of got a leg up on the competition there. Yeah, yeah certainly do. Totally fair. <laughs> and with that, we will jump into leveraging your community to build your brand. So our first point, put your stake in the ground and establish the actual brand. So this goes back to those three questions that Anne outlined in the intro, which, again, who am I, how am I different, and why would you want me? And you really have to make sure you spend the time to answer these questions because they become the foundation of that experience and then help you get to that authenticity and consistency when you launch the brand. As a side note, we have lots of other episodes on building your brand. So if you need assistance on the how of doing it, you can go ahead and leverage those episodes. But here we want to talk about the fact that this is just the important first step so that you have something that people will want to follow and that they'll know what to expect from you. And at Fourth Rate People, we actually just recently revisited mm -hmm. this. We had our yearly planning session. We were just talking about this before we started the episode in Scottsdale last week. And we, being you know two years old at this point, or almost two years old, are trying to assess that we're making the right business decisions, whether we need to tweak, tweak the brand, where we have some new offerings out there. So we had to massage some of the messaging and things and make sure that we're always on point to be creating something that people understand and they know what they're getting from us. So again, the point of this point. And Mike, I know you guys worked so hard on the story of Rebel Metal. Um, I totally geeked out when I saw some of the brand work from the very beginning because you could tell that the work was done appropriately, that you really were very thoughtful about it. And so I'm sure you have lots you can say to this point. Oh, yeah. So um, building a brand is kind of exactly how I describe it when I think about it in my mind's eye. So mm -hmm. 
Um, so in building the brand, there also has to be like a foundation and an infrastructure. So I would say the path to the existence of the brewery opening started like 2001 in Heidelberg, Germany. Um, I I got the opportunity to live in Germany uh, for a year for an insurance company. Awesome. And uh, I did it. I lived off of Elber Anglerstrasse in Heidelberg, Germany, and it really exposed me from being a poor college kid to uh individual living in Germany where you couldn't pick up Bud Light, Middle Light, Coors Light, what I was used to drinking. So I had to go. Right. So I had to go there and and kind of look at familiar names that I'd seen before and then guide myself into the beer scene of Germany. And at 21 years old, I mean, who isn't into the beer scene of wherever they're at? So I, uh, that's how this all kind of started where I initially got that spark of, um, diversity and it kind of changed my trajectory as far as my own beer drinking palate. Uh, once I came back stateside, the Rolling Rocks, the Bud Lights, the Middle Lights, they were all out and the uh, Sierra Nevadas were in, the Hefeweizens were in, you know, drinking way more imports than, than, and I would specifically go to stores that had imported beers for that. So that's kind of how this journey started. So that was back in like 2000, 2001 timeframe. Um, in 2009, I was gifted a bunch of beer brewing equipment. Wow. That's part- serendipitous. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> the, the gentleman that gave it to me lost his flavor for brewing and he was like, you know, I've got a bunch of this old equipment. Do you want it? You can have it if you use it. And I'm like, all right. So I started essentially brewing beer on the top of my stove in my house down in Florida. So, um, <laughs> I was still active duty at the time. I joined the military right after nine 11. Um, uh, Spent 12 years active duty, and this was in 2009. Once I moved to Florida, I got this equipment and just started, like, brewing beer on the top of my stove, and that's how it kind of started for me. So uh, it takes roughly, at at that point in time, in that level in the equipment that you have, you're looking anywhere between two weeks to a month and a half as far as, like, getting it. Right, right. So I would start brewing these things, and, you know, I'd plan it out to squadron functions and stuff like that. So when we were having, like... (laughs) A holiday party, uh-huh. I would bring, you know, some of the stuff I was brewing at home and to the squadron functions. And everybody was like, wow, this is, you've got a talent for this. I'm like, all right, cool. So um, I was continuing to do that uh, active duty wise until 2014. In the meantime, I was going back to school on uh, night school to finish my MBA. Um, so I'm one of those dudes that used the GI Bill and tuition mm. assistance while I was active duty. and um, uh, started going back to school at night. The reason that sparked with me is I got hurt in 2010 and um, I knew my window of opportunity in the Air Force was closing. Mm, I see. It, so, so you needed a new path. Or I needed a new knee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, that yeah, that. yeah. Um, so um, I knew it was closing. I was like, all right, to make myself more marketable, I need to go get an education. And I had a, a fortuitous thing happened to me in this process the colonel i was working for uh came up to me one day and he's like sergeant brown i'm like yes colonel what's happening he's like are you going to night school for business and i was like yes and he's like you're handling the money from now on oh oh wow so that essentially made me the cfo of a small multi-million dollar corporation in the department of defense huh? what it really taught me was government contracting mm. So I learned as a government entity how to procure items from non-government entities. Mm. That translated into a career once I got out in 2014 to where um, I was essentially a defense contractor and funneled 
equipment to Air Force Special Operations around the globe. Equipment. So <laughs> night vision devices, laser guidance Clips. systems, uh, field wearable computing devices. Nothing that went bang, but everything's supporting <laughs> the bang. <laughs> so um, did that for a number of years. I ran a team that worked across the globe. Uh, in the meantime, I was continuing to brew beer. Um, and in 2015, I think it was... It was. It was 50 West. I was having dinner at 50 West in the old 50 West. Mm. And I was looking around and I'm like, why can't I do this? Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew at that point in time that I eventually wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that was the progression going through it. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. Uh, My father was an entrepreneur. So I kind of come from a lineage of it. And I knew eventually that having my own business or being a partner in a business was in the in the works. Speaking our language. So in 2015, <laughs> that's when I finally decided to pull the trigger and go, you know what, I am going to do this. So started with a business plan. Um, if you ever want to read yourself to sleep at night, Ooh. it's 34 pages long. It, you'll knock your butt out. Um, so um, <laughs> At least you did one, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, started with the business plan, um, getting our managing members together. Um the name Rebel Metal, um, it was right at the beginning of, so I started this project in November of 2015. It took me to about March of 2016 to have the business plan done. Mm-hmm. It took me about six, seven months mm-hmm. to write it. Um, getting the approvals. The next process was the operating agreement between the managing members mm-hmm. and yep. putting forth what we were going to do, need as far as investors were concerned. Um and then the name finally came up. You know, we were obviously tossing around ideas the mm-hmm. entire time, you know, like, what are we going to call this thing? And, you know, with my day job, I got the opportunity to go to Tucson mm-hmm. for uh, a meeting with a bunch of my Air Force guys that I served with. And uh, right before that, I had a birthday and my mom gave me a handwritten birthday card that said, um, you've always been a rebel and you've always marched to your own drum. Mm. So oh, interesting. it was and we're proud of you. So that was, was kind of like head. stuck in my head. And I went to this meeting and... um dude named Paul Kester comes walking up to me. And he's like, hey, man, you remember flying in and out of Fallujah? I'm like, yeah, in Tecatum? He's like, yeah. He's like, that really tested your metal, didn't it? And I was like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> and so I had that in my mind, and I was on the airplane ride on the way back from Tucson to Cincinnati, and um, it hit me. The The two terms kind of melded together, and I called uh, Dwayne and Greg up, and I'm like, what do you think? They're like, that sounds really cool. Uh-huh. So th- then we had a name, right? Yeah. And then it came to... All right, tone, look, and feel of Rebel Metal. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the original, original stuff, it was done by me. And let me just say my artistic abilities. I've seen kindergartners with better work. Um, <laughs> That's I, what April thinks about mine, too. I, so exactly. it's okay. Yeah. So it's okay. Um, there, you know, I, I had an idea in my mind's eye what I wanted the brand to look like, like a rugged sophistication so we had the name. I started doing the original kind of tone, look, and feel, kind of putting our story out there on on social media platforms. Like, this is what we're planning on doing, you know. I will say something about that is, you know, you've got two trains of th- or two, you know, theories on this. One is don't tell anybody what you're doing because they'll drag you down. Yeah. <laughs> or put out what you're going to do because it keeps you accountable. And so I kind of favored more towards it keeps you accountable, right? So this was a five-year process. Mm-hmm. So, and everybody tells me, they're like, how, do you, how did you do it? It's like, you don't give up. But anyways, I would put out things publicly because it would keep me accountable. That's and learn, yeah. and so I was learning kind of the market of Cincinnati at that 
point in time as far as the craft beer world is concerned and the level of excitement. Um, and then we got another lucky break, so to speak, um, as we were looking for people to become part of Rebel Metal as far as uh, an investor. Um, we linked up with a young lady by the name of Sherwin McVeigh out of Hyperquake, who up until that point in time, I kind of knew in my mind's eye that the look that I mm -hmm. wanted, mm -hmm. that we wanted. Um, but it was very difficult for me to put it into, you know, the, the actual media. This is why I quit designing as well. Or, I could see it, but not do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was more, I mean, bad. Um, so like people are like, that looks like the MTV logo. It is the MTV logo. <laughs> you remember the astronaut? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, the, yes. it's same dude. <laughs> so, um, so I relied heavily on other people. Uh, anyways, uh, stood on the shoulder of giants. So got lucky meeting Sherwood. Up until that point in time, we were looking for companies that were going to help us put what we had in our mind's eye on paper mm -hmm. into media. And uh, up until that point, you know, we would go to people that said they were marketing companies, but all they were focusing on is search engine optimization right. and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it was like, that's not what we're looking yeah, for. We, creative arm. Right. We need, you know, to come together like Voltron and put this on paper and, and give it a look. Sherwood was like, you need to come down and meet our team. Um, so I had the expectation going into this meeting that Rebel Metal was going to pay them money and they were going to do our marketing for mm -hmm. us. Well, got in front of them. They were interviewing us just as much as we were interviewing them. And I got a call uh, uh, not far along after that when I was on my way home that was like, can you come back in? And yeah, it was the president of the company. He's like, everybody unanimous, unanimously decided to do your project. I was like, okay. Wow. He's like, that's never happened. Come back in. I'm like, Colin, okay, no problem. Colin, by the way, Crotty, if you're listening to this, you're a pretty awesome dude. <laughs> um, we came back and he, uh, him and Dan, um, both, Dan, you're an awesome dude too, um, were uh, both like, hey, how about we like become part of Rebel Metal and we will do your marketing for a big, pretty big discount. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. yes. Um, it didn't take long after that to get the rest of our investors. So mm -hmm. that really kind of catapulted us. Yeah. Uh, from that point in time, I went into um, financing. So we had enough for an SBA down payment mm -hmm. on an SBA 7A loan. And that's the model that we took. Uh, we hired a brokerage firm. They went out and found a uh, bank for us. We started that pro. That took two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Those banks. And it, and it was, you know, like... A lot of prodding on my end, so to speak. But at the same time, I was also doing my day job, which yeah. was keeping me very busy. If it was just the brewery at that point in time, it, it would have been faster. slow rolling. Yeah, waiting forever. So, but eventually, it got to the point where, you know, two emails a week turned to four emails an hour towards the end of it. You know, <laughs> you know, and hurry up and wait to it actually starts happening. That happened as soon as that happened. This was like a week before the steel tariffs got put on China. We ordered all of our equipment. So we oh, were wow. able to purchase all of our equipment like for about 25% less because yep. the tariffs were going to hit like literally the next week. So we got financed, immediately started ordering equipment. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, all stainless steel right now, uh, not I say all, but 95% of it comes from China. Um, so we had to wait almost a year to oh get our God, equipment. Yep, yep. Absolutely. It was it was 11 months and like 20 days. 
It took me a year to get my couch, too, if that makes you feel nice. <laughs> <laughs> so in the meantime, um, our original goal was to go into the Cliffside building, which Dwayne, one of our managing members, owns. And um, it's like the oldest, most structurally complete pre-prohibition brewery building in, in Cincinnati, right? Oh. It's old. It's 1877, I think, oh. is when it was completed. And uh, the Sawn Brewery operated out of it. Mm. And then Cliffside operated. Oh, yeah, operated, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was the original goal, but it was such a huge project. And the state really, like, at the end of it was like, yeah, we'll work with you. And then at the end of it, they're like, eh, yeah, we've got other Too much. fish to fry, so yeah. to speak. Um, so that kind of derailed that. So we started looking for a place to call home, and that's where 412 Central came into play. Um, our architect, uh, Ron Novak from Drawing Department, was like, I've got a converted parking garage downtown that I think you need to look at. And I was like, <laughs> all right. So I went down there and looked at it. And I was like, you know what? This has got a lot of the check marks that we need, mm -hmm. square footage-wise, uh, infrastructure-wise, the lift obviously being part of that. Mm -hmm. Christine, <laughs> that's a different story. Um, so got into the building, started signing all the documents to do the lease, the construction, all that good stuff. Yep. Uh, started bidding out construction companies. We bid out three construction companies through um, JS Held. Mm -hmm. They were our project managers, uh, which helped me out significantly. Yeah. Um, can't do that so that's, yourself. you know, you can't do it all. And that's, you know, the overall thesis that I have in everything that we're going to talk about today is it takes a village for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh Bid out to three construction companies. We got the one that won. They came in, started doing um, <laughs> construction. Three months later, COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like everybody came to my house that afternoon. It was like, what do we do? And I'm like, good question. Uh, so I sat on it for about 24 hours and I was like, you know what? My gut is because there's no way to read the tea leaves. There's no, no metrics right? behind this. No. I can't research anything like this. It's unprecedented. So... Um, I just went with my gut, and my gut told me to keep going. Yep. So that's kind of the the I story, mean, and we opened up September 12th of 2020. Yep. And uh, right during that time, our daily case count in Ohio was like 3,500 cases. In December, it spiked at 7,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, yeah, dude. Welcome to Business me. Ownership 101. You know, so... Uh, advice for anybody out there, uh, don't open a business during a global pandemic. You'll give yourself an ulcer. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that moves us nicely to our next point, which is create an experience your community is looking for. And this is really one of the, my favorite things about you guys. And I mean, yes, some of it is the manifestation of historic West 4th District in total and all the things that we have seen happen there. But I think when you guys came in, it really added new life to that area and made more of a destination for it. Um, and so I think when you talk about getting all your materials together and your brand and all of that, I mean, like I said, I totally geeked out when I saw a lot of your stuff in the beginning because you could tell that it was done with intention. And I think it's not just the logos and the colors and the materials and all of that, even though, as you talked about, Mike, it's, you know, a lot to get that right. And what's the name and what does it look like? And, you know, all of those types of things. But then once you do that, you have to create it on all of the things, but then also create the environment around that intention as well. And so I think you guys did a really nice job. And I mean, it shows that you worked with an agency that does this for a living because obviously they get you things like brand standards and they educate you on how all of this is supposed to work. But I also think that 
the experience of both being inside the brewery, but then the extension of it into the community has been something really awesome for us to watch and for us to see. For one thing, we obviously wanted something, you know, a lot of us collectively in that area where we could pop in as neighbors and be welcome no matter who we are and be able to, you know, for us take our kids over there, you know, really have a spot. But then even outside of that, I think that you've done a really good job of expanding very quickly beyond that, of embracing all of us and actively being a part of it, but then having groups like, you know, we've seen bike groups come in and drop their bikes or bike as in motorcycle groups come in or veteran groups come in. And so you really start to get a flavor of what your intention is. And it feels very intentional that you're bringing these groups together. And one of my very favorite things about the place, and then I'll shut up and let you talk some more. um, Well, two actually is one, I heard one of your bartenders one day say we're the land of misfit toys. And I freaking (laughs) loved that. It's pretty good personification. It really, I mean, it really is, right? But I think that that personality is so different from so many of the other breweries. And you do have an eclectic crew, but they all are so kind and welcoming when people come in and their quirky personalities are what make people want to talk to them, be a part of it, all of that. And then also the sign, um, up at the ceiling when you come in where it says all are welcome. I think that really speaks too to just what everybody exudes because we can walk in there on any given day and the personality of the place can shift with the people that are there, mm-hmm. but the overall feeling of the experience is still the same. So very, we do have a very eclectic group of clientele that, that come in mm-hmm. and uh, well, let me, let me uh, backtrack a couple things. You, you mentioned a couple of things, you know, um, the foundation, when we first opened up, I spent probably 120 hours a week inside of the brewery. And a lot of it had to do with, we had already established the look up at that point. By the way, our archetype for our marketing is a combination of Fred Flintstone and Han Solo. That's, <laughs> that's where we landed. <laughs> so I love, I love that you did archetypes. That's so awesome. So that was our archetype. And, you know... <laughs> I, I think I kind of lean more on the Han Solo side, yeah, but, you. uh, um, you know, so if you can like that is combine that in your, in your mind, that's kind of mm-hmm. where we're at. And I, I do think we have followed that, yes. you know, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, visualization in the shop and kind of in our personality. And yeah. that's where I'm going to go into is the, the foundation of personality as in an organization, I found it important to have a personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that personality to me was polite, yes, courteous, and welcoming. Mm-hmm. And so th- speaking of spending 120 hours a week there, you know, um, that's the atmosphere that I wanted to create for my interaction with our clientele. But it's also the foundation that I wanted to lie for our organization to our clientele mm-hmm. as being friendly easy to work with, courteous, and, you know, like, come in and have a good time. Yep. And beer to me is one of those things where it's like every walk of life, if you're sitting down having a beer together, it's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's one common shared bond between everybody that I absolutely love. And then mm-hmm. you can com- combine that with our, our tone, look, and feel, um, the brew house itself. I mean, who doesn't like motorcycles and, and yeah. car engines and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's kind of equally applicable. So um, Sam takes a peek inside that that uh, elevator every single time. Oh, What's yeah. Mike got in here today? Oh, uh, yeah. There's usually <laughs> something in there for sure. So the West 4th Street, you know, going, the decision to go into West 4th, by the way, was super easy. Um, there was a 
a dude by the name of Andrew Nab. Uh, Andrew, if you're listening, you're awesome as well. Um, <laughs> Got a whole list of awesome. Yeah. Um, All the thank his version of thank you. You know, going through this entire process, I can't think of one person that we actually like rubbed the wrong way mm-hmm. throughout the entire process. I think it was pretty like homogenized, even keel. You know, throughout the entire that. process, nobody really got worked up around. There, there were oh crap days. Mm, you know, sure. COVID being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the most part, nobody got rubbed raw, which was nice. Um, but um, Andrew was kind of really instrumental in in doing this historic West Fourth uh, designation and having the city of Cincinnati um, uh, designate October fourth as historic West Fourth Day. Um, I got the plaque still in my office. Andrew included me into all that and 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 made us kind of like a, an anchor in that community, kind of like upstart, so to speak. So he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yep. And that really gave us one a side of a sense of pride in the community right there. Mm-hmm. But just being part of, you know, Cincinnati itself, yep. you know, the history of Cincinnati. So very excited about that. Um so that really helped. And then Throughout the year and a half long construction process, the managing members, uh, Greg and I, um, Josh Deitner, our director of brewing, and Jonas, our quality control director, started working full time as construction workers. Uh, Hopefully you know what you're doing. (laughs) We saved a tremendous amount of money doing it it. because we did a lot of self-help projects. But what it also allowed us to do is be in the community, even though none of us live there, Yeah, be in the community all the time, right? Yeah. So we started meeting our neighbors as we were building up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I couldn't tell you how many times, you know, I'm, I'm literally covered in, in filth, you know, <laughs> from like grinding concrete or something like that and walk outside and somebody's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and like, we're putting in a brewery. Oh, cool. Can I check it out? Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it started it started giving us some ownership of... um. Uh, of our space inside the community and feeling like part of the community instantly. It's hard to have an environment where you can only have one group of people, you know, being downtown, you know, we've got such a great space and such a diverse space. And that's, so I'll be honest with you, this whole project started off with beer for me, but it very quickly turned out to be the people Mm -hmm. I have got to meet cool people from every walk of life from all around the world inside of the shop. Uh, you know, it's fantastic. I'm mm-hmm. not going to mention any names, but like m- movie. But they're all awesome. Yeah. They're m- even movie level people, right? Yeah. Have come in yeah. there and had a beer and, yeah. you know, you strike up a conversation with them and it's like, wow, that's mm-hmm. cool. You yeah. know, so very quickly turned into the people and we do try to cater to just a huge group of, of folks uh, with our events that we have there. Um, uh, the the like you said the motorcycles the veteran groups we've had community and civic leaders in there um, it's it's just been really awesome and that's my favorite part of it by far absolutely and I think the strong overreaching reason why we are who we are is the people that's what we love but I think it's important to to reinforce the point that you do that still in the vein of the personality of the brewery mm-hmm. like so even though it's like all welcoming for for everybody there's still a vibe that differentiates from other breweries in the area which is the important part of you know who am i you know how and, and why do you want me in and how am i different you know so those those two pieces especially those latter two pieces really help to make it a place that somebody's like you know on a 
you know, a regular night saying like, yeah, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go hang? It's like, yeah, I know where I want to go because they, they crave that vibe. They want to be part of that vibe. So it's, it's very interesting that you're able to do that in a way that is still very unique to you because a lot of people would say, well, if I want to, you know, cater to all these people, I kind of have to like dumb it down mm-hmm. or I have to make it kind of bland so that everybody feels like that, you know, you're not alienating anybody versus, sure. you know, you're trying to connect with people in, in that way when you want them to feel like, hey, this is for you kind of thing. So I would say our space definitely has a, you know, a warehouse garage type feel to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is not bland by any means. It's different for sure. And our space is totally different, mm-hmm. especially how we've got the the second story cut out. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't I don't see that a lot. Um, where I think we are able to make the common denominator, so to speak, is our politeness and our people. Totally. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how we kind of like, we may focus a little bit more on that warehouse look, which may be a little bit different than what other people have. But I think our people by far are the, the number one driver of being able to like have such a great welcoming space. Mm-hmm. It's not the space mm-hmm. itself. Granted, yeah. it's a house, right? We made it a home. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, exactly. it, but it's the occupants that make it. Yes. That's the whole thing that makes the experience, right? For sure. Which actually brings us to our third point, which is active engagement is essential. And so you already kind of preluded this with literally from the moment you broke ground, you and the team were part of the community. And I didn't even realize that you were the construction crew. So quite literally (laughs) part of the community. Um, But I think what, you know, what we were just talking about around you being really the the true founder and cultivating what you want it to look like and modeling that so then other people know what is expected of them is super important. Um, I mean, one of the things I know we love being in the neighborhood is we see the employees because a lot of them live down there or they're around or I go by on a run and Greg's out front, you know, all of those types of things. And everybody stops what they're doing to say hello. I mean, the other day I was running and one of your employees was driving in the car and it was like, hey, April. And I'm like, you know, good job. Good job. You know, that sounds right. But I, (laughs) sounds right. But I mean, I love that part of it because I think that again, you guys having come in and really expedited the neighborhood and the development there. I mean, there are other businesses where, well, that doesn't happen, but I mean, even the, the level of excitement and engagement. I mean, we could come in there every single day with the kids and every single day the staff is excited to see us. And so I think you're right that you have really built that. And and I think too, you know, we've been to lots of breweries in the area and in other cities and the welcome is very different, Mm -hmm. especially when you're bringing children into the space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I was, we were just talking about this because she says I'm teaching me about shots, but you know, the staff is just as happy to pour my Steubentiger as they are Mia's mini diet Coke in the shot glass because she likes the whittle cups, you know, like they don't care. And so it's like they're, you know, smile on their face. It's super genuine. But I think that that's a, a huge part of it. And then I also think, like you said, the fact that you're always there, right? And that the pieces that you have decided to bring forth are very intentional. So the car you drive has the Rebel Metal license plate. Sam's call, Sam's always like, there's Mike in his fast car, you know? <laughs> you have the van that you deliver beer. And I can't imagine that every time that someone honks and waves at you, you know who they are. But you're always quick to smile and wave. Like, I know I'm, you know, living the brand and putting it out in the community. And so I think 
it starts there. It starts for us as the neighbors, but it quickly extends beyond that. And I think that the diligence that has happened in building your ambassadors from within and then out, whether it's the actual employees or your investors or those people or those of us that are regulars that live in the neighborhood and then go out and tell others, it's very quickly spread in an awesome way where it went from being a hidden gem and kind of a secret to us seeing lots of different types of people coming in. Um, I love seeing everybody come in, to be honest with you. As a business owner, opening COVID, having people in the front door is, <laughs> it's good. All right. Yeah, I'll, well, you know, yeah, it's we'll good. start there. So, yeah. uh, um, but uh, on a, not on a business note, very intentional in getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, starting a brand, especially a brand in Cincinnati that is diluted. I mean, we've got 70 plus breweries inside yep. of Cincinnati, right? How, sure do you, do. how do you get your name out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are tools out there. Uh, we are... Actively advertising on 96.5, the rock station. Mm-hmm. Um, our social media platforms on Instagram and Facebook do well for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spent a keen amount of time on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I always see the computers out when I come in. Somebody's doing social media on the staff. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, you know, there are other, other, you know, app based programs such as like Untapped and stuff like that that, mm-hmm. you know, grade your beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the word out, the other way we've got our word out is our. Number two core value is quality, Mm. like coming to the Cincinnati market with okay beer. That's Mm. no bueno. Mm. Right. So we (laughs) we specifically put a huge amount of cash capital in our system, but we also recruited the right people. And that really kind of I mean, made us who we are. Josh, as our director of brewing and, and Jonas, when he was with us initially, were fantastic uh, and really kind of set us on a tra- trajectory for success. So having a good product and having that pass word to mouth, you know, really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, our business partners, such as like Kroger, I mean, just in, I think we're in like 10 stores, just the 10 stores that we're in with Kroger, that helps out significantly. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody may not go, hey, what's Rebel Metal all about? Even if they don't buy our beer right now, our, our name's been it. transferred. Yeah. So um, that kind of brand awareness, um, we do use distributors now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were self-distributing for a year, and I realized that I can only be in so many places at once. Because yeah. um, <laughs> That's Matt, why we were see, seeing you driving the van all so the time. <laughs> Matt, so Matt, our, Matt is our director of sales, and he's an awesome dude. And he has increased our like wholesale distribution by, like I want to say, it's like over a 1,000% since the beginning. So it got to the point where I was like, all right, I can't be in Dayton, Columbus, and Cincinnati on the same day. Mm-hmm. you know. So we need to start looking at this. Um, so we are distributed in Northern Kentucky through Chas Seligman. We are distributed in the state of Ohio coming up the first week of January, the entire state. We're going all the way up to Cleveland um, with mm-hmm. premium. And then we are using Cavalier in Indiana. Awesome. So things are starting to turn on the wholesale side, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your questions and how do you get the right team, right? For me, it starts, I I guess, maybe with the personality of the other person. I am high energy. I'm high speed. I I multitask frequently. <laughs> you know, I'm 6,000 pieces in one place. The person that I'm working with has to understand kind of my work style and how yeah. I do things, right? So meeting each other and talking to each other and feeling out each other first, like I literally will go, could I be friends with this person? And for the most part. I would say, yeah, we're all friends, but, um, 
Greg specifically has been a friend for almost 20 years. So um, can we work together and not want to stab each other? So that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a key a part of the ingredient. Can, can, good. can we rub each other the wrong way and still part as friends, so yeah, to speak? Yeah. And, th- and that's very important to me. Um, uh, the other part of that is I would transition from that to go in attention detail oriented, right? Yeah. So like when I yep. joined the military – they harped on attention to detail. Let's face it, you know, you've got a $30 million jet. Um, you know, if you forget to put in one screw, you know, in this one part and it falls down in the engine and flies and breaks, you know, that's a $2 million, you know, Mistakes. screw up. Yeah. So attention to detail was very, very, um, very focused on. So that's the second part of that. Um, as far as choosing who gets to become part of the our, our community, our environment, um, we've been incredibly fortunate to be approached by a lot of cool people mm-hmm. where the choice was very easy. Mm-hmm. There was really no debating. It was, do we want this person on our team? Yes. Okay, let's do it then. You know, it, yeah. we've been very fortunate to have really awesome people approach us. Um, so well, I think it's clear because people learn whether they want to opt in or opt out. So you get people coming in that are excited because they know what you're all about. And they're saying, I want that as opposed to you having to be like, who do we pick and choose from? Yeah, yeah. So up until this point, we have been very fortunate and for the most part been sought out. Mm. So that helps. Yeah. People that want to be there. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, totally. I'm, candidly, you know, we opened in COVID. You know, we projected to sell X amount of barrels. We sold X amount of barrels. It's a stressful environment. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to want to be there. Because yeah. if you don't want it, just walk away. Yeah, go somewhere you know? else. So very fortunate in that. Um Participating in sponsorships, and it's very easy, mm. you know, for us. Um, a lot of the times we get called out of the blue and it's like, hey, I'm doing this event. We'd really like you to be a part of it. You know, is this something you're interested in? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I've been on the golf course pouring beers. I like that. <laughs> uh, I don't m- picture you as a golf guy, Mike, but oh, you know. No, it's not the it's not the golf I'm it's interested in. <laughs> let's, let's just throw that out there. It's, it's definitely not the golf that's got my interest there. Um, so sunshine, you know, a warm day, yeah, drinking a cold yeah. beer. That sounds about right. Um, so we, I don't think we've ever said no to anybody, to be honest with mm. you. I, If somebody approaches us and says, you know, hey, you know, I'd like to do this. Would you like to be a part of it? I don't think we've ever been like, eh. Yeah. Um, we get some spam mails from time to time, sure. but when mm-hmm. somebody actively comes to the shop and says, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. Are you interested for the mm-hmm. most part? We're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So been a lot of fun. The veteran organizations, obviously, um, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you are aware of the veteran wall. Uh, for those of you yeah. that aren't aware of the veteran wall, we have a huge space inside the brewery that's quickly filling up mm-hmm. and it's basically the signatures of people that have uh, served in the military so you know name rank number so to speak mm-hmm. sign it years active and call it a day but it allows uh, the veteran community to become part of the brewery and i think that's why we get sought out and and yep. kind of like hey check this place out or can we have an event here you guys do this so yep. um it, it's a lot of fun and then we've partnered up with like um Matt Damaris, Matt, you're cool too. Um, <laughs> and then like Vets and Brews where like if you come in and make a monetary donation, you get a beer and then the over the over part of that beer gets donated to uh, veteran organizations. Mm. So it's a clever model. Yeah. It's been very successful. Um, so 
every time Matt does something down there, I mean, there's 50 to 100 people and they're having a good time. So yep. it's very much worth it. So, Well, I think, I mean, you just emphasize a point about the community is more than just a community you're in. It's a community you're building oh, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, it, a lot of people just kind of look at it from the outside in where they're like, well, you know, I'm going to go out into the community and I'm going to do these things in the community in order to you know, get my name out there. But there's, it's an also part about like trying to shape the community with that you're in and, and trying to build that from the inside out. And I think by the way that you hire the specific ways that you hire by the culture that you establish by the principles of the brand, it, it, it all, as you had said early on, April, it all creates a very intentional environment that um, it, it, it kind of builds its own awareness. And that's the most powerful form of marketing, which is the word of mouth marketing, whether it's be the, from the people who actually come in who are patrons or it's your employees who are saying, you got to come work here. Or it's like all these other organizations are like, please be part of our organization. You know, we want to have some of that, you know, with, with, with regards to the organization that we're in or the sponsorship that we're, you know, we're, we're providing or, you know, the events that we're doing. So it all kind of creates this really cool kind of like new community to to be a part of that is like almost like you know, community within a community or like, you know, and it starts kind of blending. So it's, it's just super cool about how intentionally you have mapped that out, but how naturally it comes to mm-hmm. you too. And I think a lot of people who don't feel like, you know, they might be saying, well, you know, within my business, even if it, if it's not a brewery, because everybody's like, oh, beer's so cool. It's so easy. It's not easy. As you said, it's very diluted in Cincinnati because there is so much, you know, so many breweries. And so and quality been, breweries. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. Quality breweries. Yeah. I mean, yes, top that, notch yes, top breweries. Quality yeah. breweries. Yes. And so like being able, you know, to put out a good beer, even if your beer is top quality is not even enough. Right. So, I mean, all of us who are in businesses, we all are dealing with that same exact dilemma is like we can put out a quality product. And it's just not enough. Yeah. So the effort you're going into and, and how you've been inspired by the community and how you're giving back is how we all should be thinking about our businesses and thinking about like, OK, what is it about our business that is going to be that part, the community that we're building that is going to infiltrate out mm. so that we can um, have that 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 same kind of exposure, that same kind of like camaraderie that um, generates so much um, well, obviously business revenue, but also impact in general. Yeah. So I like the impact and I'm, I am a believer of, um, there's an actual term for this. It's called, I think it's like social business practices or social, I believe in businesses of the community to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. in, in being responsible and being good stewards. Mm-hmm. And that like, I still believe today the same way i believed when i was in the service is leave something better than what, what you found it yeah mm-hmm. so that's kind of my thought process on on all of that i i just like i had a great mentor and it was pretty much trying to suck less each day you know and, yeah. and, and, and you know like learn and grow and find ways of getting from point a to point b and achieving goals and everybody knows you you know eat everything one bite at a time you know you can't yeah. eat it all at once so in i believe in the crawl walk run mm-hmm. you know there are we are definitely coming in my opinion as an organization we are just now switching from crawling to walking mm-hmm. we're not running yet we're not entirely profitable yet <laughs> but it's <laughs> hopefully coming <laughs> so uh we're 
we're, we've got a year's worth of actual metrics. Mm -hmm. We have a full calendar year of actual metrics now. Mm -hmm. Having those metrics in front of us, I believe, is going to allow us to make better decisions um, and more educated decisions. I'm looking very much forward to 2022. And I think at the end of 2022, Rebel Metal as an organization is going to be in a much better position to be a bigger part of the community. Mm -hmm. And that's always been something I've dreamed of. Mm. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, number four here is taking good care of your biggest fans, which mm -hmm. I think you guys do in spades. Um, and obviously, I'm one of them. If That hasn't come clear now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I mean, it is what I said about the team being excited to see us if we come every day of the week or we're there once a week or with or without the kids or whatever. And, you know, Sam is six years old and he walks in. He's like, is Mike here? And I swear Mike has a camera where he sees when we walk in because down the steps he'll come with or without the new pup. We'll give him a fist bump, ask Sam how he's doing today, try to talk to Mia, but she's shy. And, you know, Sam is just so proud of that relationship. And it's the same with Greg. It's Mike and Greg here today every single time. And so, you know, I think a couple examples from us is I asked you, Mike, early on when we were just getting to know you, when I bought my Rebel Metal sweatshirt, if you were going to print kids shirts and you were like, ah, just too, too expensive. We have to charge too much right now, whatever. And we come in the next time and the kids have printed T-shirts. And so I think, you know, early on we were like, all right, this place has a different vibe, a different spirit. There's a lot more that can happen from a connection standpoint here than just being the cool spot that we can pop into. Um, and then I, I think, you know, continuing on that. So you could have done that one time, but it's every single time we come in there. And whether it's Greg putting quarters on the ski ball machine, because that's how it's working this week for Sam, or, you know, some something happens with the machine and he goes up and, and helps, a, you know, a customer. You know, you're, the bartenders are always quick to be like, yep, Sam's the regular. He knows how to fix the machine. It's all of those little <laughs> tiny things, right? And it doesn't. It's not that it, you know, when those things happen that it hits us over the head, right? But it's like when that happens so consistently as it has the entire year that we've been coming there frequently, we have become biggest fans. And so I wear the sweatshirt around. I, maybe I'm not the exact target that you're going after. Maybe I am. But I wear that hooded sweatshirt and people are like, oh, Rebel Metal. Oh, yeah, I haven't been there yet or I have been there yet or those types of things and striking up the conversation and being able to support beyond, you know, just the immediate people associated with the brand. And so I think you do a really good job of that. And I see it happen for other people that I know are regulars or people I recognize from the neighborhood. And you pop in, have a conversation and everybody gets treated a little different based on what they're looking for from the experience. Sometimes it's just a wave because, you know, people don't want to be bothered. But I think you've gotten to know your biggest fans and you recognize them and you're intentional about continuing the relationships. So very intentional. You kind of briefly mentioned in so many words, like knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. um, so certain people love being talked to and, mm -hmm. hey, how's the family? How's school going? You know, um, law students, they come in there, you know, like every Thursday afternoon. Usually mm -hmm. they're nose deep in their books. Mm -hmm. Very brief conversations. Hey, you doing all right? You know, oh, it's your birthday today. Here's a beer. All right. Mm -hmm. You got finals coming up. All right. Doing all right. Cool. Leave them to it. Yep. Sam, on the other hand, you know, it's like, what's up? How's it going? He draws me um, pictures, which <laughs> I have all of them on my desk um, and cards. Um, and that's his thing. That's like, that's, I mean, I, it puts kind of melts my heart because certain times I feel like the Grinch because I, I feel like 
I'm overloaded all the time, uh-huh. but then I do get to see certain people that are our biggest fans, so to speak, and it puts a smile on my face mm-hmm. just as much as it puts puts a smile on their face as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's such an easy, you know, like, yes, absolutely, some mm-hmm. validation, like we're doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I briefly mentioned earlier, we get to meet people from everywhere. Yeah. And I love it. In mm-hmm. all different, you know, walks and, you know, we've got people in Hamburg that come through. We've got people that come through from Paris and Brussels and um, the tip of Africa and Johannesburg mm-hmm. all flying in and out of CBG. So mm-hmm. we get to meet them. Um, then on top of it, we get people from all across the United States. Hey, I'm here for this convention mm-hmm. or I'm here in town for this. Also uh, a strategic location for right, that reason, right, right by the convention center. That helps. You know, um, Sundays, I will tell you, during a football game, it is very um, black and orange. <laughs> There's quite a bit of that floating around, but, uh, you know, that's fun. Also on the walk to the stadium, so that doesn't hurt. So, um, you know, taking good care of your biggest fans, it's just like, what's the, not brand awareness, but like brand disciple. Yeah, Yeah, brand evangelist. That's what I was going to say. Right. You're building evangelism. You know, that talk about this Mm -hmm. and the, the word of mouth marketing that you were discussing earlier. So taking care of our customers and our biggest fans is i would say our number one core competency like mm. other than brewing beer like mm-hmm. take care of the people that are taking care of you because without our customers mm-hmm. we don't exist yeah and so our customers are our you know like our priority Life so life, yep. um I take care of the people that take care of you so that's kind of the mantra on that and the overall i i would say like premise of my thoughts on that mm-hmm. for sure yeah, and I mean, you have, I mean, definitely a young evangelist too. And Sam, I remember like a year ago, we were having dinner over at their house. I mean, we just finished dinner. I mean, just finished dinner. And Sam comes over and goes, And you ready to go to the brewery yet? <laughs> yes. I was like, All right, Sam. All right. We're, we're so, going to go. We're going to go. Sam is 21. When he's not at school, he has yeah. a job. Yeah. For sure. yeah. And uh, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Mia is going to, um, She's recommending that all the preschoolers come with her so that they can learn how to do shots early, you know, so it's it's all a very, like, intent to educate. Yes. So I think it's, you know, it, it's fabulous. But and I think that goes to, again, all businesses when you're thinking about building relationships versus transactional yeah. Um, just like here, here's a beer. Here's my money. Thank you. Like, I'm I'm on to the next person. Because, again, that, and going back to what we said before, builds a differentiation. It builds why do you want me, and it, and it really establishes why you're there. And then that community helps to then transcend everything else that's going on. And then when people then are, like, coming out from out of, like, the country or out of state and somebody's like, I need a recommendation for where to go, you got to go over here. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to mm-hmm. try this place. So, I mean, it, and again, it's for every business. I mean, that's what I, I think we see a lot of opportunity for a lot of businesses to to really focus on, whether it's a B2B or a B2C, is like try to develop those more human-based relationships mm-hmm. versus just the transactional, here's you know, the money and here's the thing you ask for. I do believe it's all based on relationships, B2B yeah. and, and B2C. Um, you know, if we have somebody that's from out of town that only, you know, comes to our establishment once, okay, cool. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they go to wherever they're going and say, hey, when you're in Cincinnati, try this out. And mm-hmm. that's awesome, right? There's somebody living in Cincinnati and they don't come back to our establishment. My first thing is, what did we do wrong? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I absolutely want to know about it. Was yep. it, was it, what was it? You know, I'd like to know about it. That's going to help us improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
that's inc- feed the feedback loop is incredibly important to me, and I, I do believe it helps us be better stewards of not only the community but to our customers. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Totally so to summarize, the four points for leveraging your community to build your brand. Put your stake in the ground and establish that brand. Answer the questions, who am I, how am I different, why would you want me? Create an experience your community is looking for. Then bring it to life authentically and consistently with intention. Active engagement is essential. Get out there and talk about your brand. And finally, take good care of your biggest fans. They will advocate on your behalf, which builds your brand much faster. And on to our next segment, which is in the trenches, where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application so that anyone can digest and put them into action. And the first one is how do you ensure you are welcoming everyone while still focusing on a target consumer? And I told you guys that I geeked out when I saw the brand standards online. (laughs) And part of that was the values for Rebel Metal. And those values really quickly are integrity, a team of character and ethics, quality and innovation, relationships established in respect and dignity, compassion and community, and celebrating the rebellious spirit, which is my favorite one. <laughs> um, but all of those, I read those out because I would say that this encapsulates the exact way I feel about Rebel Metal and the exact way that I describe it to others. Of course, it is in my own words. But the important thing about this is that you feel the sense of rebel metal on top of whatever you are experiencing as a consumer and then vice versa. And the really good thing about this is that it's developed from more of that emotional and relational standpoint, which is what we've been talking about this whole time. Too often we say we hear people say things like, this is my demographic, right? And with breweries, it's like 21 to 35-year-old hipsters that like craft beer, especially IPAs. Right. Okay. Well, that's one target. And I can tell you right now that if that was what Rebel Metal was filled with, I would not be sitting here today as a super fan of the business. (laughs) I also think that that's very... A very small group of folks to target on with the north a, side. Yeah, with a very, <laughs> with a very, like we already said, um, saturated market in Cincinnati where people are making good beer. Anyway, uh, so that's the wrong way to do it. But when you when you hear things like the values, or you hear things like the Rebel Metal Creed with phrases like "fortune favors the daring," those who grind, hustle, and live life on their own terms. I mean, this is something that gets you revved up, that you want to be a part of, and so you have the sense of what you're walking into, and you have that feeling of "I want that," and so. Mm-hmm. The brand has been built, again, intentionally, as we've talked about all the way through, to bring in the right people. So there is a general target consumer, but it is people who see this and they're like, yes. And whether, you know, you go online and you read all of this like I do and did in the beginning, because <laughs> I was curious, um, or you just come in and you experience it, I think the point of this is that it has been built to be this versus what you think a brewery should be or who it should target or mimicking what somebody else is doing or going after a segment of the population because they seem like the biggest beer drinkers from a volume perspective. It is actually building that space that people want to come to. So celebrating the rebellious spirit is my favorite as well. If, uh, I've been known throughout my life as a habitual line stepper. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, I take that back. Integrity, I mean, integrity, I think, is, is number one for a reason uh, team of character and ethics. And the character aspect of it is yes, we can be a little rough around the edges, yeah. but we all have a heart a mile wide, so to speak. Absolutely. And so, 
that kind of segues to me in our target customer. Our target customer is anybody that wants to feel, you know, special and invited and in a place where there is no judgment. Like, mm. this is just come and have a good time and be you. Mm-hmm. Don't be a jerk, mm-hmm. but be <laughs> you, you know? you know, Come come and have a good time, you yeah. know? And we will do our job in, in trying to make you feel special. Mm-hmm. So our tone, look, and feel is on the rougher side. You yeah. know, it's a, a refined ruggedness. How we did it as a brand, though, as far as our product, is you'll notice that we don't have six or seven IPAs. We have nine or ten loggers. Yep. So we specifically focused on logger production to be a, re- a rebellious force in yep. the Cincinnati craft market. Yep. So, you know, maybe a little bit of disrup- disruption, you know, market mm-hmm. disruption, yep. trying to get a more inviting palate to the non-craft drinker that goes, you know what? I, I don't like IPAs, but I'm interested in craft beer. Yep. These guys have a light craft beer. Mm-hmm. Then they have that and they're like, wow, this is really good. And then maybe they go, oh, I like the this one and I like that. Yeah. So it may open that palate with the non-craft drinker. That's kind of the target customer that we have in mind is maybe they you don't like six different IPAs. Come try ours. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're a little bit maybe closer to what you're used to and it might expand your palate a bit more, you know, and, mm-hmm. and see what it is. So I've ha- I can't tell you how many people I've had in there that'll be like, I hate craft beer, but I love yours. Mm-hmm. So I've actually heard that verbatim. So <laughs> it happens quite frequently. And that's kind of how we were a bit rebellious in, in who we are as, as a brand. So that's the little rough around the edges that we are, but on the inner core of the organization itself, we bind ourselves to these to these core values, quality and innovation. We used the ergonomics of the building, in my opinion, quite effectively yep. uh, to innovate some production things that helped mitigate certain problems. Yep. So that was awesome. I also love to break the news to people that it used to be a parking garage and they look <laughs> up and they're like, oh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right? So yes, we definitely turned a, a, a giant cinder block into a, a well-used giant cinder block. <laughs> um so quality, obviously, we were talking about that earlier, you know, coming to the Cincinnati craft beer or the craft beer market in general. If you have bad beer, nobody's going to buy your product. Mm-hmm. So ensuring that didn't take place. Well, and Re- I think, too, sorry, I'm totally interrupting you, but I think people come in and they know you're a small brewery and you're newer and then they taste the beer and they're like, holy shit, that's good. It's I mean, I think I think that that's kind of the other piece of it is like you blow the expectation out of the water, not just like, oh, it's. It's good. You but, know what I mean? You know that that saying, walk quietly, but carry a you know, big, big stick. stick? Yeah. <laughs> like, let, let our product do the speaking for us, yes. right? We can go online and we can social media blast everybody and be like, hey, we're the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. But until you actually try the product, how do you really know? Yeah. Right? So that's kind of specifically why we named one of our beer hype. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, anyways, relationships established in respect and dignity. Not only do we have our relationship with our customers, we've got relationships with other business that we work with. I'm going to tell you for the absolute vast majority of them, they have been incredibly lenient with us. Mm-hmm. Opening a business during COVID is rough, mm-hmm. rough. So we've had a bunch of companies that are including like our bank that, is, that have been and our you know landlords that have been very lenient with us and we are incredibly appreciative and it really illustrates to me the fact that it takes a village for mm-hmm. sure. Um, compassion and community, just creating a space that is welcoming to all walks is important to me. So, you know, 
having somebody that comes in and may not be incredibly familiar with the craft beer market and having a bartender that goes, oh, you don't know, I'll come back to you. No, I'm pretty sure that our staff, for the most part, if somebody says, oh, I don't drink a lot of beer or I don't have a lot of craft beer. Okay. What do you normally gravitate towards? What do you like? You know, and then start, start that relationship. And I can't tell you how many times people come to me and like, like you were just saying, like, and I just said, you know, like, I'm not a huge craft beer drinker, but I love yours. So, um, and then celebrating the rebellious spirit. I talked about how we're a bit different in the market. Um, and I see almost kind of our environment being rebellious in a polite way as well, because I can't tell you how many other breweries I've been to where it's like, this is who we are. What are you doing here? Where comparatively speaking to our side of the house, where it's thank you for coming in. How can we help you? So um, that's, that's important to me. And I think really at the end of the day, you know, like as far as community is concerned, nobody wants to deal with a piece of sandpaper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like not being abrasive and being polite and courteous has served us well. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that our tone, look and feel includes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very, I mean, it's, it's very specific. It's very choiceful and it's very intentional, which a lot of people and especially a lot of businesses do not really spend and invest that time and they make it way more generic. Like, we want great customer service. Well, again, like how do you define that? How mm-hmm. do you define a customer service? Like what kind of customer service? How is somebody who is actually coming in as a patron and the person that's going to serve that person know that that customer service is good customer service, right? And that could come in all different styles. It's fine that there's a little like edge to it. I mean, that's what people expect sure. when they mm-hmm. come in there. If that's what they they don't like that, then they're going to go to someplace else, you know, down the street, right. you know. So it is I mean, it's it's totally the right choice. It's totally the right move to be so specific in these that everybody can embrace it because that's what builds the culture. That's what builds the community. And that's what makes people realize, hey, this is for me. Right. And and it, it creates that consistency from, you know, moment to moment to moment that they know when they come in there, they're going to get the same like a great experience and it's not like oh well it was good this day but you know the other day mm-hmm. it just wasn't as good and like i just don't know what i'm going to get and that unpredictability is like a total <laughs> like annihilator of repeat customers right right so regardless if you're a brewery or a business it's like the consistency is important and well defining these and making sure everybody knows them how to live them holding them accountable to them. So when you see somebody like, hey, that's just not how we operate here, mm-hmm. you know, and making sure that that's brought to their attention so that it is consistent, that is how you run a business. Um, so I, I applaud how specific and intentional and choiceful these are in being able to evoke that right culture and that right vibe. So what's going to give people not culture shock coming to our establishment isn't our staff. Our staff is mm. going to be consistently the same, friendly, courteous, and inviting. We might have a hard rock show that night. We yeah. might have a rap group in that night, right? So we might have, you know, a, a different musical act in there, a jazz night, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Which brings certain different, different you know, different yep. folks, right? So I, this happened like, I don't know, three weeks ago. We had a metal show in there one night and I just happened to be down there. I'm a fan. And this, you know, like bus full of people came in, I think from like Springboro. And it was like one of those party bus, but Mm -hmm. it was a full-size party bus. It was huge, right? Fit like 45, 50 people on (gasps) it. They all come into this heavy metal show. So we've got leather jackets and and headbanging here in a mosh pit. And then 
you know, the the suburban folks coming in, right? And they, Sam was playing a ski ball still. <laughs> well, we were, there, there. we were there when the people started coming yep. for the show. Yep. And we were like, I don't know if this is going to be as kid-friendly as normal, which was fine with us. We'd been there for three hours, and then we were the ready to The only thing not kid-friendly about it is the sheer level of loudness. <laughs> it, it, that's, it gets loud, right? I wear earplugs for a reason. Yeah, yeah it yeah. gets loud. I mean, we're in a giant cinder block. Yeah. But so at first, you could – I was – I was in the back just kind of watching just to see what was going to happen, right? So I'm watching. And at first, there was some apprehension on the tour bus folks that came in. They're like, do we really want to jump in this? And then it was just one lady that was like, whatever. (laughs) Screw it. Walks right up to the bar, orders beer, and starts. Mm -hmm. 20 minutes later, the second band's playing. She's right in the middle of the mosh pit. (laughs) Wearing a cardigan and a pair of jeans and just rocking out with people. And I was like, that's what this is all about, is bringing, you know, like people together. So beer is obviously a social lubricant. You know, Mm -hmm. it's fun, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the venue is the venue, so to speak. It's Mm -hmm. it is what it is. But the people are are what's going to make it. And that includes our customers. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right, though. Like, you know, I kind of said, like, is it going to be kids or not? But like, we never felt unwelcome in that situation right so even like we were sitting at one of the tables and they were moving them for the mosh pit um but it was like hey like i hate to ask you guys this but do you mind moving we got to get the and i was like no we don't mind totally fine we'll move to the back table just tell us where you want was that sabrina asking um no I don't think it was Sabrina. She's awesome, by the way. She is All awesome. of our staff's yeah, awesome. I mean, awesome. we've got like circus performers. Yeah, we've I mean, got <laughs> GE executives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we've got yeah. a pretty diverse team. It's awesome. The GE conversations are fun for us. Yeah. Oh, yes. One of these days, Mike's going to go on to another podcast. He's be like, you know, Anna and April, you know, they're awesome. We're going to make the awesome <laughs> list. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, just just check in. I think yeah. I already made the awesome. Well, Sam made the awesome list for yeah, sure. Well. So Sam's, on, Sam's pretty much on the epic awesome <laughs> yeah. list. Yeah. Oh, there's an epic awesome uh, list. Epic wow, awesome. there's a great <laughs> awesome list. But I mean, I think, you know, I was there that day that this was starting to happen, obviously. But I I actually, I did. We talked about how interesting it was that these different groups of people, because it was very distinct that day, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. you had football fans and people in their jerseys. You had people like us that are in there all the time. You had the people coming for the show later. And then there was some other kind of, I don't know if it was a birthday party. There it was were a other, birthday party. There were other children in yep. there that day, too. And I was like... There aren't very many places you could go where this would function and the energy never shifted. It never like it was just all like, all right, like different people coming in. Cool. Everybody was kind and courteous, like you said, and it it was what it was. So I think that that is exactly your, you know, all are welcome. That was to me. I was like, this is the definition of that. So when the when the the mosh pit started, right, the the organizer of the show came up to me and he's like, one, we've never had a pit like this, but I was watching it. Right. And that culture in itself is really awesome. So they're in there having fun, banging their heads, smacking each other around. If somebody trips and falls or somebody loses their step, everybody stops what they're doing to help that person up. And that to me kind of personifies, we're all going to make mistakes. All right. We're all going to say and do something wrong. We're going to hurt somebody inadvertently being able to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, yep. and, and with the help of your folks around you, that's what it all means to me. Mosh yep. pit with a conscious. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to, we covered a couple of these questions already in our conversation, so I might move a couple things past here. But um, one of the things that we haven't maybe touched on yet is how much do you have to continue to manage the community from an ongoing standpoint? And we've talked around it a little bit, 
you know, first of all, the answer is all the time. You can't let up. It definitely becomes easier when you start to have biggest fans in, in a relationship with them. But like I said before, if that wasn't continuously cultivated or Anne made the the comment about if you come in one day and it's like this and different the next day, you become less of a fan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's important. Unless that's what's expected. Right. Which, which well, you've yeah. established that expectation. Yeah. That, that yeah. is the consistency. Yeah. Is that you're not exactly sure what you're going to get necessarily, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean... It still is like my point about, you know, feeling welcome, even in an environment where I'm like, this is an interesting mix of people. I still have no anxiety or any other feeling than I'm allowed to be here like everybody else. Because there's still an expectation of the vibe that isn't isn't inclusive. Yeah, Yeah. it's supposed to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think it is a tough job, though, to manage the balance of new people and then continuing to please the regulars. And I think that. That has been an interesting thing to watch as well, because you don't even though you give us special attention and you you come talk to us and you know we're some of the ones that want that discussion, you don't give any less attention to anybody else. So it's not a lopsided type of situation. And everybody that wants conversation gets it no matter how they're how often they're in there or left alone if they want to or all of those types of things. And so. It goes back to me to the small gestures and the way that you've built and cultivated the community and the people that work for you and that everyone gets treated with that same welcome level. You just pay different sort of attention yeah. to the people that are your regulars. You got to know that's your an audience. interesting balance. And I just I continue to think that it just works so well. And I also watch the staff read people when they come in pretty immediately. And I think that that is an incredible thing to see too, because they assess what they're going to be dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody comes up and they seem nervous, which I've seen that too, like Mm -hmm. I, you know, and standoffish because all breweries aren't welcoming. And so you get someone, my parents age in there in the cardigan and whatever. And they're like, I don't really know. I don't, um, maybe I don't want anything. And the staff quickly jumps in and embraces it and offers tastes and talks to them about the different beer and, and gets them where they need to go. Right. And so I think that seeing the community continue to evolve, but with the same intentionality and then also continuing to bring all of us along that have been there from the beginning. I mean, I've been part of many startups and brands over my years where I felt really included. And then all of a sudden it went on to a next iteration and Mm. I was like, I got left behind Mm -hmm. and I don't get that feeling at all. And in fact, I feel even more enthusiastic to help it reach the next iteration because that is exciting, not alienating to me. If we can build our business by about 40%, it's I, in my opinion, it's going to get us to a point where we can actually be even more comfortable than we already are. Mm-hmm. Um, there are accommodations where we have one week that we don't have the next. And it's mm-hmm. literally just up and down depending on, you know, supply and demand, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a culture, right, how do we keep the new folks coming in the front door and how do we keep our existing customers, right? Mm-hmm. One is the foundation that we've established, you know, as far as friendly courteousness. The other one is like – that feedback loop, if I'm in the brewery I'm and I don't recognize you, one, if I do recognize you, I'm going to come say hi. Mm-hmm. But if I don't recognize you, I usually make it a point to come say, hey, what do you think of the beer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you like it? Okay. Oh, you don't like it. Tell me what's up. Oh, I didn't expect it to taste like this. 
try this one next time if you're inclined, or I'll bring up a sample of the next one I suggest. And they're like, oh, this is much better. I'm like, all right. Um, and then the other folks in my organization kind of watch me doing that. Then they start doing it. And I think that really helps out a lot. And it's just all about engagement, you know, like that opens the door to so much, you know, like, Hey, do you like this? Yeah, I do like this, but it's a little loud in here. You're right. We've got three heavy metal bands on tonight. And <laughs> we are a giant cinder block. So yes, it's a little loud tonight. If you come back on a, on a, you know, Friday, or if you look at our social media calendars, you'll know that we don't have anything going on this day and it'll be a little bit less quiet and you'll probably get a chance to listen to Led Zeppelin or something like that. So, you know, like it'll, it'll be a lot. So that opens the door to a lot. And I would just say being courteous and being friendly and sticking to our core values is what's going to allow us to keep our existing customers, but at the same time appeal to new customers. So. Yeah. And, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact of the role that you're playing in yeah. managing all that too. I mean, not only are you having to work on your business, but you are working in your business to basically be the model. Yeah. For how you want everybody else to act. And when they see that, yeah, all these like the brand attributes that you mentioned really start coming to play. They say, oh, I understand what integrity means. Mm -hmm. yeah. I understand what the courteous does. What, what, I understand what that value looks like because my founder, owner, CEO, president, manager, whoever it is in your business is modeling that for me. Mm -hmm. You can't expect people to follow that and not model that for them or act contrary to that and say, well, do what I say, not what I do. Mm -hmm. Right. So it becomes Don't like, like yeah, a whole big um, kind of teaching like, uh, experiment, if you will, in order to kind of show them how you know you want it to, to be like. So I, I think that's really important for everybody to consider as they're setting up their teams, as they're setting up, you know, their structures, as they're setting up what these mission and, and their their core values and, and their objectives and all those things actually are going to be for them. If they can't model them, if they can't believe in them, if they can't act them, then it's not going to ever work because nobody's going to be able to understand what that looks like. They're yeah, going it's just to on paper. Yeah, they're going to do yeah. what you do. And if you can't model that, then it's not going to stick. So one of the lessons that I learned in life, in theory and then in application, um, McGregor wrote a book in 1969 called X Theory Management and Y Theory Leadership. I totally can't stand X Theory Management, which is basically do what I say. And if you don't do it, I'm going to hammer you. That's yeah. definitely not me. I don't like that. I prefer being the leader that is like, oh, you need somebody to mop the floor? No problem. Oh, you need me to do this? I got it. Mm -hmm. Being a contributor, so to speak. Yeah. I think that's helped out. Um, as an organization, we have great team members such as Greg and Dwayne and Matt and mm -hmm. Josh and Sabrina and Brandon that have all embraced the culture that we have and become not disciples of it, but like encouragers of it and, and increasing it. Greg's Greg runs 90% of the ship inside the building. Mm -hmm. He does a phenomenal job. Um, he is still my best friend. Mm -hmm. So I say that we don't get a chance to talk like we used to. We don't get a chance to hang out like we used to. <laughs> Damn business. <laughs> but yes. Um, so um, I think that's helped out a lot. Uh, as far as a leadership aspect, as far as me, right? I, I tend to delegate a lot in, in power um, people, right? So I will throw out strategic objectives. Like this is what we sold this month, this year. This is what we need to sell this much. Whatever plan you develop, mm -hmm. 
to get from us from point A to point B. If you come to me with it 99.9% of the time, I'm going to be like, go make it happen. There's only that rare exception where I'm like, eh, I don't like this. That's where, when in an organization such as ours, if there's going to be friction, that's where that friction is going to take place. So learning how to, all right, let's take another approach to this. Or I like this idea, but have you thought of this? And trying to be courteous to each other as well. And I would say that's probably the, the number one reason why we've been as successful as we are. Is uh, I, It's just courteousness and politeness. As an organization and as the front of Rebel Metal when it comes to our customers. Mm -hmm. All right. Our final in the trenches question. And this is going to be an interesting one because I I don't know where where Mike's going to fall on this. But how do you decide what offerings to have versus not? So we have... We have experienced a lot of change in this area over the course of being customers at, at Rebel Metal. And I feel like you've given a lot, given not given in, but you did negotiate to your point about people bringing ideas and that sort of thing um, and what your vision may have originally been versus where you are today. But I do think it would be interesting to hear how you make the decision to change. So, for example, there weren't TVs at first, mm-hmm. right? And then you're like, all right, we're going to get a couple of TVs in. It's definitely not a sports bar feel, but you have a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And on game days, I think it does help you. Yep. At first, it was just beer. Then it was, okay, we're going to offer a couple skews of wine. Now you have liquor in the bar, but it seems more like liquor in a mixer type thing, right? right. It's not like full bar. We do all the cocktails, that sort of thing. Um, live music versus not and the diversity of the bands you offer, different events that you've had and tried out versus not. And so I think it would just be interesting to hear from you because I think this is something that we do get asked fairly frequently of like back to that consumer base, right? Like how much do I give, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a brewery, how do I decide that I'm going to serve other stuff? Mm -hmm. Or if I don't want to become a sports bar, how do I decide about the TVs versus not? And like, how do I make those intentional decisions to keep the brand on track, but also allow for some flex? Sure. So there are a lot of decisions that get made inside the brewery that I hate to use the term common sense, but (laughs) they pop right in front of us. Like, why weren't we doing that all along? Okay, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> and Greg, Greg and I will look at each other. Dwayne and I are all three of us will yeah. look at each other and be like, that was pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Um, so that happens, right? Yeah. So th- those decisions are very easy to make, right? Boom, boom, boom. We're done. This is what we're doing from now on. Liquor, right? Mm-hmm. That decision was made almost a year before we opened. Um, and it was by the three of us, right? So we purposely had a liquor license when we opened the front door. We could have served liquor on day one. There was a reason why we didn't. Two reasons. One, we didn't want to take away from the, the product we were yep. making. Which, that was yeah, one smart. decision. The Get other decision first. was, it's like that Kung Fu saying, where if you practice something 10,000 times, you become a master, you know, and then if you only practice like a dozen times, you're not, or something like that. You know, what I wanted us to do as an organization has is have like kind of a muscle memory on the basics. Mm-hmm. The initial foundation of actually selling beer from our space in our bar space, which was brand new. Uh, So we wanted to test things out, so to speak. Ergonomically, does this make sense? Um, You know, like, okay, now that we've got this established in our protocols, closing and opening, you know, 
having standard operating procedures, right? So I wanted some time established with standard operating procedures to practice our core competencies before I started looking at other competencies. So selling beer for six months straight and then introducing wine. Okay, we added three more SKUs to the shop. Let's see how this works. How do we train our staff to pour this amount compared to this amount? How do we train our staff to say this is what type of wine this is, right? So that that would happen. Then crawl, walk, run, like I'd mentioned earlier. The run was finally when we decided to put liquor in the space. Uh, a huge demand from the community. Um, that decision was made almost a year before we opened. So and as far as the decision-making process is concerned, I would say – in my opinion, 99% of the decisions that are made in the brewery as an organization are made in a collective group environment. We bounce each other's ideas off. I'll go, Matt, what do you think? Greg, what do you think? Dwayne, what do you think? Sabrina, what do you think? Casey, what do you think? All right, all right. All right, this is what we need to do. Or I'll put a plan in place based off of everybody's inputs and say, this is what looks I heard you. Here's like it makes yeah. sense. Um, very rarely do we bump heads. It doesn't happen frequently, um, once or twice a year, mm -hmm. if that. Um, so that's nice. Um, trust, ownership, empowerment, those are the things that I look at strategically as a leader and go, the right person needs to have ownership of this process. So me coming in there and going, all right, this is how I want you to do this. Do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. doesn't empower them to make decisions, nor does it create ownership, right? They've got to own their own processes. So strategically just putting out goals. This is where we're at. This is where I want to be. Develop a plan. Let's come together like Voltron and make it happen. That's kind of how I look at our organization. Um, the individual business sense, you know, when I am behind the bar now, I have to hunt for things <laughs> in the computer. I mean, like, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I get on there and I'm like, all right, uh, Steuben Tiger is weird. Right there. Got it. All right, got it. Now I can pour it like a pro, right? But, you know, between the computer changes and add new SKUs and yep. stuff like that, it's a little confusing to me now. Um, so the daily day-to-day -day operations, I have great people in place that I trust wholeheartedly to make decisions that will better our organization. So that's kind of how I look at things. Um, some of my partners might be like, hey, you're kind of a you're a, a cracking the whip on us today. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm <laughs> and then, But, you know, for the most part, I'm the crazy uncle that's fun to hang around with. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our we have our weekly meetings on Thursdays. And um, uh, during those meetings, I kind of go. I look at the health of the company. This is where we're at. You know, this is what we have in inventory. Um, this is the events we've got going on this week. These are the products that we have available at the time being. Um, this is what we've got going out the door as far as wholesale is concerned. So we'll go over those metrics. And then as an organization, we go through and talk. Each each director at level and above has the ability to get on the floor and put out what they want to put out. And it, I believe it helps us for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think there's like the, you outline a brilliant three-step process that I, I I absolutely love, which is first you welcome diversity of thought, and from all different areas of the business, from the people who are working in the floor to the people who are managing the business, because you know they all bring in a unique point of view that you may not necessarily have because you can't be everywhere at once. 
And I think that is really, really smart because it does bring that insight um, that not, yeah, again, like not everybody has. And then you listen. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people will bring everybody together and like, yep, yep, yep. And but they're not really listening or hearing or like really understanding or appreciating the perspectives. So I think you bring the diversity of thought, you listen, but then you also make a decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and then the last part is the hardest for people to get because then they have all this input because a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to get all the input because I don't know what to do with all the input. It can becomes overwhelming. Then what do I go do with it? But like you are able to pull it all together, synthesize it all together and make a decision. And that was what makes that process so brilliant because it, it because it like it it takes into consideration everything that's like happening, but it does give a focus and it makes people feel and understand one that they're heard, but then two that you are going to go somewhere with it. Like it's going mm-hmm. to move. Like yeah. it's not good just going to sit there. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't remember like how many times I'd sit and PNG like we would go through those first two steps and then like, okay, decision time. And nobody would make a damn decision, you know? <laughs> so that is the brilliance of productivity, progress, being able to see things move. And that's what gets your team still so, like, into it. And, like, they're willing to kind of come to that. And they're willing to feel um, part of the business because you empower them to be part of the business because you listen. I, I do my best to listen. There are times where people have accused me of not listening. Um, usually it's when I'm on the phone typing something out and they're yapping at me. So I'm really not paying attention. But uh, every now and then, um, I've, and here's the what I learned over this is you're not going to be able to please everybody all no. the time. No. Okay? No. Nope. So I know that going into it. The other thing I learned is when I was in the military, get off the X. Mm-hmm. If you're getting shot at, move. Move. Yeah. Right? And so making a decision. All right. Is it 100% of the time going to be the right decision? No. What it does give us the opportunity, though, is if that wrong decision was made, to look at it and go, all right, where did we make a mistake? Take corrective action, and then you find it. Mm -hmm. So experience to me is not necessarily a bad thing other than the fact that it's expensive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So on the learning side of it, yes, I'm 100% fan. I'm guilty of it my entire life. I have made mistakes. But I also am guilty of learning from them. Mm-hmm. So as an organization, having that same kind of thought process, I think, has helped us. Um, if there's a mistake made, I also pride our organization on nobody ever being somewhat petty about it and going back to that person mm-hmm. and right. going, oh, well, you made the wrong decision mm-hmm. here. Okay. Things happen. You know, we learn from it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's never happened. So I yeah. thoroughly enjoy that because they're going to happen. There's no way we can have this many moving parts yeah. without mistakes being made. Right. You know, it's going to happen. So, all right, learn and overcome. I love it. Get off the X, make a decision. I even like if, to get off the X. I'm going to yeah. start using that. Even if <laughs> even if the decision is wrong, it's still not necessarily bad because it might have taught you a lesson or it might have opened a different door. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're moving, that's probably a good thing and not dwelling on problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, um, like I was saying, like, you're not going to please everyone all the time, right. mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Just acknowledging that. And so like knowing that up front, you know, you've got out of six people, you've got five people that say one thing and then maybe the six person's like, no, I don't think so. And it's like, all right, well, I'm, you know, I mean, not to say we're just going to do the vote and that's that there's other heuristics involved, but. I've got, I'm leaning this way. All right. You've got to sell me on why we're not going to do this. 
name to me why. And then at the end of that conversation, it's like, all right, listen, we've got this going on. We've got this going on. Why don't we try it this way? If it doesn't work, we'll come back and try it your way and just try to diffuse and not be abrasive about it because the conflict's going to be there. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, though, can you walk home? Do you feel guilty about it? Or are you like, all right, that happened. I think we were able to healthily negotiate that exchange, that conflict, and move on. So as a whole, I think we've been very good at dealing with conflict Mm -hmm. because it's going to happen. And to me, it's like family. It's like a business to me. Mm -hmm. If there's conflict, if there's abrasiveness. spend a lot of time together. (laughs) It's not going to work out. Yeah. And so I, I am proud of our team. And I say our team because it really is. It's not my organization. It's our organization. And yeah, I think that's made a huge impact. Um, Have there been some abrasive situations? Yes. Usually they've resolved themselves. Yes. Yes. Which is the good thing about having that strong of a culture. Yeah. You can out it without having to really do much. Right. So um, would I do it all over again? Absolutely. Hey. <laughs> yes. I would do it all over again. Would I do things differently? Sure. And that's a part of learning, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but absolutely unequivocally, unreservedly, I would do it again. All right. Well, that's a good segue to our third and final segment, which is when we have a guest, we turn it over to you to say a few more words about the brand and the company. I think you kind of prematurely gave your parting words there, maybe. Um, and also tell people where they can find you and where they can find the brewery. Um, probably help. Um, <laughs> so you can find us at 412 Central Avenue, um, downtown Cincinnati. We are pretty much right in the middle between Paul Brown Stadium and uh, the convention center, Duke Energy Convention Center. So we're right there on the west side or uh, 4th Street. So if you get on 4th Street, take west all the way to central, we're right there. Um, parting words, fortune favors the daring. Um, it's in our brand motto. It's in our story. Um don't be afraid to make mistakes. Learn from the mistakes, but don't be afraid of making mistakes. If you're letting being afraid of making mistakes, holding you back from achieving your goals, you're never going to achieve them. And that will is my last thing is if you have a goal and you want to accomplish it, then do it. it you can talk yourself out of it a million ways. You can rationalize yourself out of it a million ways. You got to be accountable to yourself. But if you have a dream, go do it. Make it happen. So that's kind of, that's what I have to As say. As you did. <laughs> I, I did. And I do it all over again. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us today. It's been awesome to have you and to be able to geek out over your brand, which, of course, I also love. (laughs) So just to recap, leveraging your community to build your brand. Put your stake in the ground and establish your brand. Answer the questions, who am I, how am I different, and why would you want me? Create an experience your community is looking for, and then bring it to life authentically and consistently with intention. Active engagement is essential. Get out there and talk about your brand. And finally, take good care of your biggest fans. They will advocate on your behalf, which builds your brand faster. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.